welcome to episode 45 of Become Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. I am your most loving host, Kristen Hollis, aka Kiki Writes. This is a bit of a special episode in which I will be covering season four, episode 13, Is This Any Way to Run a Paradise? and episode 14, Odd Man In. Now, for the second episode, it's actually a sequel to the season three episode, Over 50 Steel, which was my favorite episode of the season. So, of course, I had the most terrific Daniel Budnick join me in discussing the episode. So it seemed only fitting that I would bring him back to discuss the sequel. As with all episodes that Dan and I talk about, it will be spoiled. We will give you a spoiler warning in the discussion so you can stop listening if you want to, but definitely check the description for timestamps of the spoilers. Also, just a heads up, I record differently when I'm recording with Dan than when I record the other episodes. When I'm recording by myself, as of now, I'm usually in my room with a fan running to block out background noise. When I record with Dan, I actually go in the box room and I record with a different mic and it picks up a lot more background noise. So you're going to hear the ambiance I've been working so hard in the past couple of seasons to get rid of. I hope you enjoy its return. It's just loud as hell. And you're going to hear me moving around a lot because I was sitting on the floor with a blanket over me because the box room was freezing. So enjoy. After all, that is why you listen to this podcast, The Ambiance. Also, I'm going to put on a little mild trigger warning for the first episode. Is this any way to run a paradise? There is a character in there who uh, who gets his bigot on and he uses some real choice racial slurs in his brief interrogation. So just a heads up for that. With all of that said, let us not delay. Let's go to Hawaii. Yeah, Connor, what do you got? When they fired up the furnace this morning, it backfired. The plant was closed over the weekend, so they had two days. One thing you know, took some muscle to get that lid up there. That thing's eight feet in diameter. Cut the fit, wedged in, no way to lift it out. I sure know what they were doing. That kind of turns you on, eh, Kona? Yeah. It's the first time anybody's done anything about these big smudge pots. But when they get that lid down, have Che go over it. Right. Jen, plenty of apartments facing this way. Go and knock on some doors, see if anybody's sawing. Okay. See? What I found on top of the chimney. What is that? Stop poisoning the air. Kaili wants the sky to be blue. Eku Kaili Moko. Kaili Moku. Kaili has risen. Kaili? One of our ancient Hawaiian gods. The god of battle. Season 4, episode 13, Is This Any Way to Run a Paradise? Air date December 14th, 1971. Directed by Michael O'Hurley. This is his 15th of 36 episodes. And written by Bill Stratton. This is his first of 16 episodes. The trash incinerator is on fire, and this is actually a bad thing. The fire department is on its way, and so is Steve. Once the blaze is extinguished, the fire chief tells Steve that it was arson in reverse. Someone capped the lid on the stack and caused it to backfire, setting it on fire. 
Danny climbs to the top of the tower to investigate and finds a note in some kind of feathered gourd decoration that says, Kaili, god of battle, wants the sky to be blue. Yes, he isn't a fan of trash incinerators. Steve talks to museum curator Sumi about the decoration he found. Sumi informs him about Kaili, who could make himself heard over the sounds of battle. Kaili is risen is a battle cry. Bird expert Miss Weston IDs the feathers on the gourd as a white turin, which is a vanishing breed. It used to sound a cry of danger to other birds, sort of like Kaili. Jay Fong tells Steve about the incinerator cap. There was no block and tally used to lift the heavy lid. There are no fingerprints found on it. It was well made, hinged in the middle, and fits snug. Chen Ho's witness says she saw a guy climb up there on Sunday, and then again that morning, hauling the lid. It's over 100 pounds, and the tower is over 140 feet. Dano's typewriter analysis comes up with some distinguishing characteristics. Steve thinks maybe this guy has a thing for incinerators, but Kono thinks they'll be hearing more from him. And they do, because a dump truck dumps a huge amount of garbage in front of the governor's office. A cop runs out to find the truck empty and another Kaili gourd. The note refers to the dumping off Sand Island contaminating the water. This looks like a big environmental protest. Steve talks to Mr. Finley at the Environmental Defense League. It's all volunteer. There's no official member list, except for the phone bank. The group is fine with Kaili's activities. Disobedience is an important catalyst to change, but they make no claim to them. A crop duster flies over a field, and someone takes a few shots at it, downing it and injuring the pilot. Kaili drags the pilot from the burning plane, laying him down a safe distance away and leaving a gourd with him. That'll cure him. An ambulance and 5-0 race to the scene. The pilot is banged up but conscious. He didn't see who shot him down, but thinks the guy who pulled him from the plane was big. He carried him like a baby. He'd like to thank him, then shoot him. The letter left with the pilot says to stop poisoning the earth. They find buckshot holes around the engine. He was careful not to hit the pilot, but he couldn't guarantee the man wouldn't have been killed. Steve says it's attempted murder. Steve meets with Mr. Finley at 5-0 headquarters, and Mr. Finley is all too eager to help. Kaili has gone too far. When Finley heard about the crop duster, he made another list of those most likely to engage in this behavior, which the Environmental Defense League denounces. Steve gives the list to Dano, Kono, and Chin to investigate. They have a lot of clues to judge their suspect by. A gas station owner has a clear bigotry against the Chinese and blames businessman Lei Han for the development that's ruining the island. Dano spots a gun that the guy uses because his gas station is open until midnight. Kodo talks to a big Hawaiian named Aku, a shop teacher and football coach. He's totally cool with Kaili. Kono says Kaili is going to see a bunch of prison time if he's not careful. Dano shows Steve some pro-Kaili posters as an amazing what's-it walks in and claims to be Kaili. He's ready to confess to all of the crimes, but it's obvious he's not quite on this plane of existence, and he's doing it for the attention. Jin investigates the poster requester, Joe LaMotta, who's meditating upside down. He has more posters in his room and a typewriter, which Chin tests. That gets Joe's attention. Joe blocks Chin's path as he tries to leave and says he might be Kaili, but the way Chin picks him up and moves him out of the way with no trouble says otherwise. They look at their suspects. There's a football coach, shop teacher, the gas station owner, a construction worker, and a guy who's moved six times trying to see Diamond Head because a new high-rise goes up every time he does. 
The trouble is, none of them fit perfectly, mostly due to alibis. There's a televised panel discussing a filter plan proposed by Senator Patterson. Naturally, the businessmen present are only concerned with money and therefore don't want the filter plan. Kaili is typing a new letter while listening to this bullshit. It's a death list, and it names everyone on this panel, which I'm fine with. The death list is published in the paper. One panel member dies of a coronary right afterward. Another splits for the mainland. The rest of the members have been brought to 5-0 to be briefed and to be informed that they'll have police protection. Lei Han, with his syndicate connections, doesn't feel he needs it. Steve insists. The group leaves and 5-0 ponders which member of the group will be Kaili's first target. Chen says if Kaili is a military man, he'll go for the weakest link. But Kono disagrees. Kaili, the god of battle, will go for the strongest. And that's Lei Han. It's late at night at the Lehan compound. Security is patrolling the grounds, but they fail to notice Kaili swim ashore. He sneaks onto the grounds and into the house. With no trouble at all, he kills Lehan, snapping his neck while he lies in bed. Surprise! Kaili is Aku, the shop teacher, which 5-0 later confirms with evidence. And if they're going to catch him, they're going to need bait. So this is another environmental episode of Hawaii Five-0, and I feel that we're going to see plenty of those. We've already seen quite a few, and that is because it is a continuing battle, even to this day. 50 years after this episode, there is still a lot of environmental concerns due to development out in Hawaii. I mean, right now, as of this recording in 2022, it's been revealed that the Navy's been poisoning the water with jet fuel on Oahu. The islands are undergoing water rationing due to hotel use, and yet they're still allowing developers to go through with plans to make wave pools. It's just absolutely ridiculous, all in the name of capitalism. So it is a continuing theme, as relevant today as it was back in 1971. And the interesting thing is, is in this episode, Steve kind of like paints it almost as a Hawaiian concern, the way he points out to Kono that Kono is kind of cool with what Kaili is doing up until he takes a shot at the crop duster. Because Kono's not too thrilled with the trash incinerators and the smog and the ash that they put in the air and is also concerned about the dumping off Sand Island, which is going to poison the water. So at first, it's almost kind of painted as a Hawaiian thing, a local thing. And it's thought at the very beginning, Steve thinks, well, maybe this is just a one-time deal. Maybe the guy just has a thing for trash incinerators. It's a one-time protest. But then he dumps the garbage out in front of the governor's office. And it's like, okay, he's going to hit all of the bases. And it looks quote-unquote harmless. It looks like it's only going to be property damage. It looks like it's only going to be inconvenience. It's a statement. And then he takes out the crop duster, which Steve makes a very valid point when they say, well, he took pains to avoid hitting the pilot while he was shooting at him with buckshot, which spreads. So Steve's right. A, he couldn't have guaranteed that the buckshot wouldn't have hit the pilot. And B, coming from corn country, we have a lot of crop dusters out here too. And knowing that during dusting season, during growing season, they run themselves ragged. They're often sleep deprived while they're flying. There was no guarantee that even if he hadn't hit the pilot and only hit the engine block enough to down that plane, that he would have been able to land it safely. So he was taking a pretty big gamble. And it's at that point that Steve is like, absolutely not. This is no longer harmless. This man could have been killed. We're not standing for it. 
And even then, Kono, who was kind of fine with everything, backs off with the violence. And so does Mr. Finlay. Now, Mr. Finlay is an interesting character because, as I said, it was kind of painted the way Steve interacted with Kono. that This was a Hawaiian concern. But Mr. Finley, who is sort of the head of the Environmental Defense League, he is a white man who lives in Hawaii. But he's just as outspoken and pointed as some of the native protests about the environment. Mr. McGarrett, at this point, a great many of our members would like Ke'ili to run for senator. Others want to put him in for the Congressional Medal of Honor. Anything goes, isn't it? Look at this town, McGarrett. We have a scenic view of high-rises and traffic jams. We have the beginnings of Los Angeles smog and a New York indifference. Now I ask you, is this any way to run a paradise? No, but do you think that Kahili's tactics are the best way to clean up these islands? No, I don't. But I know that human history began with an act of disobedience, and it's likely to end with an act of obedience. He's cooperative with Steve. That's the thing. He's absolutely cooperative because they make no claims to this as something that they orchestrated. He admits it's entirely possible that one of his members could have done it, but they're making no claims to this. And he's fine with it because Steve is very much so, because he can't help himself, very much so crime bad and criminal activities in pursuit of a greater cause still don't jive with him, which is funny considering how many terrible, horrible things have been legal over the years that people had to break the law to stand up against. And you kind of wonder what side Steve would have fallen on when it came to that, because his morals seem to be very much so tied to the rules and the laws. So while Steve is sympathetic with the plight of the environmentalists, he doesn't like their methods because they break the law. And Mr. Finley has a good point of disobedience gets shit done. He's not wrong. People getting pissy about things is why we have change. Why we upset the status quo and make something better. Because people get pissed and they don't stay quiet and they don't follow the laws or the rules. So he's kind of fine with it until the crop duster incident. So there is a very firm line in the sand drawn here when it comes to environmentalists' pursuits of, yeah, you want to tear shit up, ruin property, that's fine. We draw the line at violence. We don't want to be associated with violence. We don't condone violence. That's not our bag. So Mr. Finley comes in with a new list to help 5-0 possibly track down whoever is doing this. And we get a great montage of the fellas checking in with these suspects that are on this list. Because from what they know, from the evidence that they've gathered, this guy has to be big. He has to be incredibly strong. He can't be afraid of heights. He has to have access to both a typewriter with specific characteristics and a shotgun. So there's definitely certain criteria that they can go by. So when they're talking to certain suspects, it's clear there's a couple of skinny white guys that they interview first and they're just like, yeah, absolutely not you. But then Chin talks to a construction worker who is part of the league and he's a bigger dude and he's not afraid of heights. So he might be able to do this. Dano talks to the gas station owner who is an absolute bigot has nothing nice to say about Chinese people in particular, and blames Le Han for most of the destruction. Overloaded the sewers, foul the rivers. 
your skin. Most of them seem to meet the sanitation code. Come on, Williams. Guys like Lahi Han can get over a sanitation code faster than you can flush a toilet. That gun yours? Yeah. We stay open till midnight. Used to be my duck gun. Wonder what ducks on this island. Now it's my midnight survival kit. Then Kono comes in with a coup. He's a shop teacher and a football coach. He's a big dude. He is unapologetic in his environmentalism. He looks like he's capable, definitely. And I think Kono knows it's him. Kono's hunch instinct, I think, immediately picks up on the fact that he's a shop teacher, which means he could have made the lid. He's a big dude, means he could have carried it up there. He was a football player, a wrestler, a swimmer. He's very athletic, doesn't really know fear. So I think Kono is pretty intuitive about the fact that, yeah, Aku's probably Kaili, and he, that's why he gives him the warning of Kaili's going to see a lot of prison time if he's not careful. He's trying to give this guy an out, I think. The problem with all of these suspects, including the other guy that they bring up, which we didn't get to see anybody talk to, but Jin says that he says he was going to take out an apartment building one floor at a time because it blocks his view of Diamond Head. Why doesn't he move? He has six times. New high rise every time. So we never see them interview him, but we know of him. So they have four suspects. The problem is all of them have alibis. So that's problematic because they know that Kaili is not going to back down. There's going to be another incident. He's going to do something else. And it's interesting that we, we get uh, a little bit of a Hawaiian culture lesson in this. Kaili was a god of battle, which... As Steve points out, the Hawaiians had many gods of battle. But Kaili was big during the time of King Kamehameha the Great. And as the curator says, he was able to be heard over the sounds of battle. And then we have the parallel with the ornithologist who comes in and identifies the feathers that were used on the gourd. And she says it's a white tern. I think that's what she calls the bird. And there's only two nests left on Rabbit Island due to pollution and human encroachment and all of that. It's a vanishing breed, but their cry used to alert other birds of danger. So very much like Kaili. So whoever is doing this is really working the theme and making a very good point that what he is doing, it's an act of war, but it's also a battle cry. He's doing this to be heard over the sounds of progress and capitalism. It's also worth noting that Steve absolutely got his flirt on with the ornithologist. Thank you, Miss Weston. Uh, one of these days, I might just take up bird watching. When you do, let me know. Anyway, we get this panel discussion about some filtration system, and the businessmen on this panel. I would say in other times might be caricatures of evil corporate heads. You cannot say that now in this day, not with the way the billionaires run things. They're pretty on target and they're just the absolute worst of the worst. They don't want to do anything that's going to cut into their profits. And that includes anything that would benefit the environment because that's going to cost money. Uh, biggest whiners. Anyway, Senator Patterson stands up to them. Kaili is watching. As he's watching it, he's typing up a death list that includes every person on this panel, including 
Senator Patterson. And he sends that to the papers, which published it. And then one guy promptly drops dead of a heart attack. And then the other guy splits for the mainland. Because that is the stuff that they're made of. The rest that are there are gathered in the 5 offices. Steve is explaining how they're going to go about saving their sorry hides and protecting them from Kaili. Now, the other two weak-ass businessmen that are in there propose, one of them I know proposes that he's going to go public in the papers and offer the best lawyers if this guy will turn himself in. And Steve's like, yeah, that's one way to protect yourself. But Lehan is just like, I'm good, thanks. He has no fear of this Kaili because he's got syndicate connections. He's been in this business and dealt with harsher people. So he thinks he's fine. And Steve is like, you know, won't miss you if he gets you, but kind of got to do my job. He insists that everybody get a police protection and they leave. And by the way, Lei Han, who is supposed to be Chinese, is played by Richard Morrison, who is not Chinese. So another incident of racist casting. Anyway, that's when they discuss who they think Kaili will target first from this death list. Kono, of course, says he's the god of battle. He's going for the strongest of them. And they say that's Lei Han. So it's now nighttime. We see Lei Han's compound, which, by the way, is Robin's Nest once again. I think this is the first time we've seen it this season. So it's nighttime at the Lei Han compound. We have security trolling everywhere. And Kaili swims up to the house, sneaks onto the grounds, sneaks into the house, and into Lei Han's bedroom. Now, this whole sneaking in probably takes three to five minutes. It's quite a bit of time as we're going through watching him. And what's great about that is the entire time you're expecting something to happen. You're expecting someone to catch him. You're expecting because they've identified that Lehan is probably the one Kaili is going after that. There will be something more from 5-0. But there's not. He gets right into the bedroom where Lehan's sleeping like his life ain't in danger. He wakes up in time to see that someone's in the room with him. Kaili covers his mouth. And snaps his neck. Sucks to be you, sir. And then that is when it's revealed that Kaili is Aku. So it's after Lehan's death that Kono is sure that it's Aku. And so now they have to set about proving it. They do this by going back to the school and double-checking his alibis, which fall apart. Because the head football coach admits that, yeah, he could have slipped away from practice and he wouldn't have noticed. He was also supposed to be in shop class, but then the principal comes in and says the students recanted and said that he wasn't there. So his alibis fall apart. They find the typewriter that he used in the basement of the school and they realize, okay, yeah, the evidence is piling up against this guy. We know that he's physically capable of A, making the lid that would have gone on the incinerator stack. He's capable of carrying it up there. He's strong enough. He is a swimmer. He competed in high school. So he could have swum the four miles against a rip tide to Lehan's compound. He was a wrestler. He has the physical strength to snap Lehan's neck. It's all coming together. Now they have an officer watching Aku, but Aku is aware of their investigation and he seizes the opportunity to knock that dude out and run for it. So now they have to find him. They feel that the best way to find him is to bait him into coming out because they know he, just because he's been identified, he's not going to give up on his death list. He's not going to give up on his cause. He's just going to try to do all those things and evade 5 at the same time. So they decide the best way to get him is to bait him into coming out. 
and they go to one of the businessmen and ask him to be bait. And of course, his cowardly ass says no. And Steve very freely shows his disdain for this man. I share it. So then they go to the senator. They tell Senator Patterson what's going on. And Senator Patterson says that because of Kaili's behavior, they can't advance any anti-pollution legislation in the Hawaii government because he's made them look bad. Steve says, well, would you like to tell him that? And he's like, yeah, I'd tell him to his face. And Steve proposes to use him as bait. And the senator's like, yeah, okay. So what he does is that they put him on television. The senator denounces Kaili's actions and says that because of him, they are tabling all environmental legislation for that session because no one wants to support what he's doing. He's hurting the cause. Of course, Aku sees this while he's sitting at a bar. And naturally, it it has its intended effect. Now, they have the senator carry on as normal, going to normal functions, but he's being shadowed by Fivo because they know that Aku is bound to make one last big move. You know who's big time? This guest cast. Let's take a closer look at them. Aku was played by Nephi Hanneman. This is his fourth of 11 episodes. Miss Weston was played by Mara McGivney. This is her second of two episodes. We also saw her in Death Watch. Kwasmoski, the gas station owner, was played by Herb Jeffries. This is his third of four episodes. We also saw him in Face of the Dragon and Highest Castle, Deepest Grave. Lehan, as I said, was played by Richard Morrison. This is his second of five episodes. We also saw him in The Last Eden. Senator Patterson was played by Fred Titcomb. This is his third of three episodes. We also saw him in Samurai and Sweet Terror. Curator Sumi was played by Ed Fernandez. This is his fourth of 13 episodes. Emery Grace, one of the businessmen, was played by Ted Scott. This is his first of seven episodes. He also appeared in episodes of Star Trek, The Partridge Family, Quincy Emmy, and The Associates. Edgar Hackbert, one of the other businessmen, was played by Mitch Mitchell. This is his fourth of 15 episodes. Our delightful hippie visitor was played by Don Lev. This is his first of three episodes. Fire Chief Maka was played by Clarence Garcia. This is his fifth of eight episodes. Clyde Finley was played by Fred Ball. This is his first of eight episodes. He also was Professor Fun on the Checkers and Pogo show. He also appeared in episodes of The Jeffersons, Magnum P.I., Mama's Family, Raven, and Baywatch. He appeared in the TV movies Paradise Connection and Blood and Orchids. And he appeared in the miniseries, Pearl. The principal was played by Norman Tang. This is his first of two episodes. He also appeared in episodes of the McKinsey's of Paradise Cove, Magnum P.I. and Raven. And he appeared in the movie Aloha Summer. Joe LaMana was played by James Canada. This is his only credit. Coach Smith was played by Baird Miller. This is his third of three episodes. We also saw him in the pilot Cocoon and in A Time to Die. Edward Kramer was played by Scott Stamler, and this is his only credit. 
Our writer, Bill Stratton, wrote 16 episodes of Hawaii Five-0. He also wrote two episodes of Minute Law, three episodes of Vegas, two episodes of Strike Force, and an episode each of Canon, Kolchak, The Night Stalker, and Medical Center. He also has writing credits for the TV movies Murder Me, Murder You, More Than Murder, The Baron and the Kid, The Last Days of Frank and Jesse James, American Harvest, Street of Dreams, A Son's Promise, and Gunsmoke, The Long Ride. And that is, Is This Any Way to Run a Paradise? This is another really solid episode. Again, it's another episode with an environmental message. But it's really well done in that we have the escalating protest tactics that start to lead to violence. And while I don't think there is a lot of question about who is Kaili once the suspects are introduced, you're still along for that ride of watching Five-0 figure it out and dismantle his alibis. They still go through the motions of gathering all of the evidence because they are very thorough. They want no question when they arrest this man. Also, the ending, not to spoil it, is consistent in its message for the entire episode, and it's actually pretty brutal to watch. The ending is a downer. But this is a pretty good episode, and you should definitely give it a watch. How did that yo-yo get up there? That's one of my yo-yos, Chief. He stashed his phone in that fire extinguisher. He prepared a dummy head and hand out of paper mache, left him in his bed. That's the phone he rigged. Crude, but it works. And here's a picture of him. Yeah? Lewis Avery Filer. I knew it when I put him in here, Warden. It was only a matter of time. He went out like those walls don't even exist. It's humiliating. Warden, with this guy, that's par for the course. Now, when he got his hand on this training manual, it was all over. I gave it to him. Part of my rehabilitation program. But you know what really hurts? When I opened the prison safe this morning, I found this. 3,000 in that safe. Why didn't he take it all? Mr. Filer fancies himself an honest man. He only takes what he needs. But this IOU is no put on. He intends to pay you back. Episode 14, Odd Man In. Air date, December 28th, 1971. Directed by Paul Stanley. This is his 14th of 19 episodes. And written by E. Arthur Kane. This is his third of six episodes. It's bed check at Oahu State Prison. Louis Avery Filer, thief and master of disguise, is apparently asleep in his bunk. But no, he's really hiding under the bed. A fake version of him under the blankets. He snatches a picture of a man off the wall from above his cellmate's bunk, pulls a spoon from his shoe, and uses the handle of it to pick the lock of his cell. Once out, he heads to a closet where he lights a candle and reveals that he stashed a lineman-style phone in the bottom of a fire extinguisher. He hooks it into the wires and makes a call to the guard, who finally goes down the hall to answer it. As soon as he's gone, Filer picks the lock on the next door, ducking into a room just as the guard comes back. He makes another call, pretending to be the warden, this time to the telephone company saying they need a repairman out there right away. He then retrieves coveralls from a skylight grate. The repairman arrives and, pretending to be the repairman, Filer uses his truck to drive out of the prison with the guard none the wiser. Steve arrives at the prison to find the extent that Filer has gone to in order to escape. 
Steve knew it was only a matter of time before that happened. On his way out, Filer also took $2,200 from the prison safe and left an IOU. Steve assures the warden that if Filer left the IOU, he will pay him back. He also took a bunch of equipment from the telephone truck he stole. The picture that Filer took from his cellmate is of a man named Elmo Ziegler, a Miami syndicate troubleshooter with a high IQ. Bivo later finds out that Elmo died two years prior and looked an awful lot like Filer. Filer goes to see Goro Shibata, saying he's a man named Lewis, but Shibata doubts that. He recognizes him, but he's not sure why. As Filer checks the room for bugs, he talks to Shibata about his new venture into cocaine. It turns out that Filer knows about the $4 million in cocaine out on a fishing boat that Shibata is looking to land on Oahu. But he tells him the police will be waiting for him. Shibata calls Eddie in Miami and asks about Elmo Ziegler. Miami Eddie says he's dead, but he never saw the body. But he assures him that Elmo is legally dead. Filer is pretending to be Elmo as if Elmo faked his death. Shibata asks why Elmo slash Filer is tipping him off, and he says it's because he felt he owed him something. Shibata calls the starfish and speaks to the captain, smuggler Moose Oakley, not realizing that Filer is listening in on his phone equipment. Steve gets a picture of Ziggler and is sure that Filer will impersonate him. He asks for drawings that have aged Ziggler with a wide variety of facial hair. Filer then calls Steve. He won't tell him the game, but he does tell him to be at a certain point, at a certain time, and look for a low-flying helicopter. Filer compliments him on keeping the island clean of the hard stuff and tells him that he knows he won't be able to resist stopping $4 million in blow hitting the island. Filer is right. Filo takes off running. Meanwhile, Filer scubas up to the point to watch the shenanigans unfold. Fivo arrives, and so does the helicopter. Shibata in one car and his men in another. Filer pulls a bullhorn from his bag of tricks and pretends to be McGarrett, saying it's Fivo and they're surrounded. Naturally, Shibata's men try to drive away, and the chopper flies off. The twins get caught, but Shibata, the chopper, and Filer all get away. Jin tracks the chopper so far as an owner and a dress, both of which are probably fake. Steve sends him to interview anyone who might have seen the chopper. Dano says that a high-priced lawyer is working to get the twins out of jail. They were spotted in Hong Kong a few months ago, most likely buying the cocaine. Steve tells Kono he wants surveillance on Shibata. Shibata calls Oakley. They argue about who is leaking info. Shibata's man alerts Shibata that 5 is in the hallway. He tells the captain he can't come in due to bird watchers. Shibata decides to solve this with a legendary troubleshooter. He asks for Ziegler. Kono calls McGarrett as Shibata goes for a scuba, evading their surveillance. Meanwhile, Filer, who's on a yacht in the harbor with Moose, sees the whole thing. The two men chat about how the coke is delivered and how Filer plans always work, while they wait for Shibata to join them. When he does, he offers Filer money to help them troubleshoot their little problem. You see, Oakley has the coke, and Shibata has the money, and Filo is making it difficult for them to get together. At first, Filer resists the money offer, but eventually relents after Shibata raises his offer. Filer will coordinate the holy union of coke and cash, but he'll do it by giving each man their instructions drop by drop, with only Filer knowing the final location so no one can leak it. For these services, he'll be paid a million dollars. But Moose and Shibata privately agree that since Sigler is already legally dead, they'll make him completely that way. 
Meanwhile, Steve realizes that Filer and Shibata are more than likely right out on the water in the harbor. Filer is impersonating Elmo, orchestrating the chaos so Shibata will call on him as a troubleshooter. It's a dangerous game, and Steve thinks it's all so Filer can get the coke. Fivo figures out that it's the starfish carrying the drugs. Dano also finds a witness who IDs which Filer disguise he's using to pose as Elmo Ziggler. But this is Filer. That doesn't mean he'll always look that way. Filer is in a storefront, Oakley is on a roof, and Shibata is on a balcony of his apartment, the three of them using radios so Filer can give his instructions. Oakley will bring the starfish in and, at about two miles out, radio in. That will be Shibata's signal to go to the bank as conspicuously as possible. He'll then slip out the side door into a waiting cab, which will take him to a mailbox for his next instructions, which will help him slip his surveillance. Speaking of surveillance, Kono calls the rest of 5-0 so they too can witness these three men making plans in public on walkie-talkies like weirdos. Steve recognizes Moose Oakley as the smuggler he is and realizes that he owns the coke. Steve was hoping Filer would bring in the blow before he was arrested, but he can't let him box himself in, not with Oakley. They go to arrest Filer at the storefront, but of course, Filer sees him coming. 5-0 finds nothing but a dummy in his place. He is a man of infinite jest. 5-0 receives word that the starfish is on its way in. Filer calls, apologizing for blowing the stakeout. Steve knows he staged the whole theater so they'd ID'd Oakley. He warns Filer that Shibata will kill him for this. Filer doesn't think so. He doesn't intend to stick around. You see, Filer reasons that if he is going to steal, isn't it better to steal from a thief? Because that's Filer's real goal. To steal the whole four million dollars. So... Obviously, since Hume Cronin has returned to the islands, it made the most sense for me to have my 5-0 team member return to Bookamziano to discuss his return. So the most enthusiastic, most wonderful person, Mr. Daniel Budnick, is joining me. Dan, how are you? This bird watcher is excited to have an eye on Filer moose and goro i didn't write down his last name but i'm excited to watch shibata. all of them yeah shibata goro goro shibata and the twins having a good time together in this episode so i'm excited to be back because i really enjoyed um over 50 steel and and i'm i was i was interested when you told me there was a sequel i thought i'm in here we go let's do it when I looked at the season and saw that Odd Man in was going to be in this season, but it wasn't near where my favorite episode, because this isn't my favorite episode of the season, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. It was in the running for it, but it went to another episode that's actually much later in the season. I said, well, might as well mix it up. I can't talk about this without Dan, because we talked about uh, Over 50 Steel, and it's Hume Cronin. I yes. mean... <laughs> He's, he's magnificent. So I'll just go ahead and ask, what did you think of the episode? I, 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 will, I will start off with this, that I was tempted to go back and rewatch Over 50 Steel. But then I thought, you know what, Dan? If, if you rewatch it, you're going to be spending the whole time comparing it to Odd Man In. So stick with Odd Man In. And I really enjoyed the episode i thought it was a lot of fun i um i, I like his 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 schemes uh, every once in a while they do seem to go a little maybe too large 
but I, I think they're fun, and I love the way he escapes from the jail. I love the little phone thing he rigs up when he's in the prison, which I think is super cool. I love him calling up McGarrett, and you got your tape recorder going, or whatever it is he says to him. And I, I, uh, I just, I just think, I think it's a fun episode. And, um, and I, I was surprised the second time I watched it. I thought McGarrett and the Five O guys, they don't really do much. <laughs> in this episode uh it's it's it mainly really is filer and goro and uh, and good old moose and i like to I like to fast the what was it moose oakley moose oakley i thought he was in europe a guy named moose oakley what what is he doing in europe <laughs> really uh, i'd love i'd love i'd love the moose oakley story but in general i think i think it's well plotted it's well put together. It's it's um maybe the music occasionally plays up that this is a more comedic episode because there's a bit too much a wah, 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 kind of thing as they're moving around. But in general, I, I thought it was well put together, well plotted. There's some nice twists in it, and um in the end, I think it's very. I I think it was I think it was very satisfying, and I'm sad that the character didn't return because I thought it would have been third times a charm. I thought it would have been fantastic. But yeah, I I, I did quite enjoy this episode. I would have loved it if they found a way for Filer to return because he did seem keen at the end about coming back. But yeah, this, like I said, I like Over 50 Steel a little bit better, but that's like saying I like coffee ice cream better than I like chocolate ice cream. I like (laughs) them both quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, this one's fun because I am a huge fan of elaborate plots. Yes. And his escape plan is incredibly elaborate. I love it. Like, we are talking months in, months of planning. Since he got in there, he has been planning this. Oh, can we escape. talk spoons? Can we talk about spoons? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Spoon in the shoe. Hiding the spoon in the shoe. <laughs> spoon. He's not digging his way out. No, he's using the spoon handle to unlock the door. Yes. Like, I love that. <laughs> why would you even think about that? Yeah, that's fantastic. There's so many great the the, yeah. moment, the moment where he he makes his own phone, and the warden's like, yes. well, well, oh gosh, he he did what? And McGarrett says, yeah, and then he shows him like um a phone service manual or something, and he had this in his cell. Oh yeah, I gave him that. I thought it would help him out, and <laughs> he used it to make his yeah. own phone, which I love. Yeah, which is kind of like as I think supposed to be something about the the rehab program. Mm-hmm kind of a slight knock on that but it's just like no you can't it's this is filer you could have given him a storybook and he would have exactly exactly yeah so i like that part that and he didn't just make his own phone with that he stole the telephone truck (laughs) and took all that equipment out too (laughs) which is fabulous but what i loved was because he's in his cell and he's obviously made the paper mache head much like they did for alcatraz Mm -hmm when those people escaped he's got that in his bunk and he steals a picture off of the wall that looks very much like him because it's basically Hume Cronin in disguise and when I first I remember watching this episode I first watched it I'm like why does why is there a picture of him in (laughs) disguise on his wall by where this dude's sleeping what is the (laughs) point of that and then you find out that, oh, no, this is Elmo Ziegler. He's a troubleshooter for the yes. syndicate out of Miami. 
And this was his old crime partner that was sharing a cell with, uh, with Filer. And I'm like, why does this man's old crime partner have a picture of him on his cell wall? What are we not saying? What are we not saying? Because <laughs> the, the camera, you see, you see the, the guard, you know, sh- shine the light in, looking around the cell, make sure everything's okay. And then you do see a picture of Hume Cronin on the wall with like a mustache and a beard and you're like oh he put up a picture of himself oh that's a headshot from a previous something or other he did but no then you learn what's going on later and then you learn more of it you're like that is weird that's legitimately weird i mean does that happen i've never been in prison maybe you can help me on this Kristen. but um (laughs) is is, do, do people do that it's like man we were cellmates for a year and I just like to keep his picture here. Sometimes I'll talk to it. I'll pretend like, hey, Elmo, how are you? And I love Elmo Ziegler. That's a fun name. That is an amazing name. I love that. <laughs> and I I also love the fact that, that yeah, not only has, does he have this picture on the wall of his former crime partner, which is like, oh my God, were you besties? Really? <laughs> then you find out he's been dead for two years and you're like, okay, you're pining? What is happening? Yes, yes. There is a whole nother episode just happening yes. in that particular bunk. Yeah, yeah there's... because I have questions. <laughs> and I mean that—that's sort of the one of the um, because because as with over fifty steel, there there are a lot of just great clever things that Filer does. This is that one that one moment where you really have to go with it that he looks a lot like Elmo Ziegler. Because when when he goes in to talk to to um, uh, Goro there, he looks like Hume Cronin and with white hair and a little little goatee thing. Well, no, but like a beard kind of. I'm not sure what you call it, like beard without a mustache kind of thing. And you're thinking the, the Amish look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're thinking like, gosh, I I hope this works, and it does. Thank goodness, thank goodness. That that's the one part. That that's the one part that's sort of like. That's that's a little iffy right there. That's maybe stretching it slightly because they they apparently knew one another, right? So so it's like a little, but it had been a long time. Yeah, they were they were acquaintances. Yes. It seems like, or they knew of him or something. I mean, it wasn't like they were besties. Yeah, he was yeah. not. He did not have the relationship that his cellmate. <laughs> Wait a minute! I've got a picture of you here on my desk. It is you. <laughs> yeah, but I do. Speaking of that scene. I do love the fact that he walks into that office and it's just ballsy as hell that he goes in there and is not intimidated by Shibata or his twins, Mm. is feeling around the office for bugs and um, asks him and he's like, I'm not here about your your girls or your numbers or anything like that, Mm. but then brings up the cocaine, which no one is supposed to know about. And he's having cocaine shipped in, mm. and moose. That's what he, you know, by moose, <laughs> and that's, and that's what was cool is that so much of what Filer does throughout this episode, and I mean, like in Over Fifty Steel as well, the whole point is him manipulating other people, yes. and he's just so good at that. Yeah. So he comes in as Ziegler, who has faked his own death mm-hmm. is how, with their, how he's playing mm-hmm. it. Because he does call, Shibata does call me at Miami to get confirmation. Yeah. And so it's, a, he's legally dead, mm-hmm. is what they say. So he comes in saying that he doesn't want anything for this knowledge that 
Five O will be looking to bust him. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what he tells Shibata, and then he leaves. So he's like playing it like here is this generous offer, right? Yeah. And he waltzes out, and it you know every and then he immediately. <laughs> And then he calls McGarrett. He he hears about the he hears the phone call because that's that's why he has all this phone equipment. Mm. Here's the phone call out to Moose where they do speak in that wonderful code <laughs> that oh, you so demonstrated great. earlier. That's so great. I want to talk about that for a moment after in a bit. <laughs> Absolutely, talk about it now. Oh, I was going to say the great thing about that scene is is it's sort of like the um, what is it the uh, I, I'm, forget, I'm forgetting all this stuff. You know, it's the um, uh, the the um, uh, what is it? The birds? The the? I, why am I why am I suddenly blanking on all the? Um, oh, the bird watchers! Oh yeah, the the bird watchers saw this. Well, how is the bird? And uh, it's okay. Well, did you have to? Did the bird get dumped in the ocean? No, the bird watchers didn't see it. And after time, I was dying for one of them to just say, "Are we talking about the same thing?" <laughs> back back up a little. I didn't get that last bit of jargon. Because it's very jargon filled, and you know exactly what they're talking about, and they're they're doing it obviously because you know the phone might be bugged. But after a time, I could just see myself getting lost. Wait a minute, I got to check my jargon list. That means that okay, yes, yes, that is correct. That the 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 the, the penguin dropped in the ocean by the ice water. <laughs> you got yeah. it. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. yeah, the weather could blow up. You've got a leaky hull. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, the, but the the fish are full. That that's a reference to something that might happen with the fish later. Yes. The fish are yeah, full of are full. snow. No, that would give it away. I think that would give it away. <laughs> don't not that one, Moose. We can, we don't use that one anymore. Little no, too on the nose. The fish Little too on the nose. <laughs> I was gonna say the fish have. Got the cocaine. Oh, damn it! <laughs> I knew yeah. I'd get that one wrong. We've got too. We've got too many code words. Too many code words. Oh yeah. It's 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 fun because it's it's obviously you know in code, but it's not too in code that we don't know that they're talking about yes. the fact that you know mm. that they might get busted and that there's a a mole in their organization leaking information. This is the starfish. How's the weather? It could blow up, and there's a possibility. You've got a leaky hull. So, uh, what do you advise? Chart a new course for dry dock right away. This is great, because then they go to do a drop with the helicopter, because that's what Hume Cronin tells them, that they're going to do this drop, and that... Except he does it in the very Hume Cronin Flyler way of saying, you might want to... Telling Steve, you might want to be here. Yes. At this location. And... He taunts him a little bit. Yeah, you know, be at the be at the edge of the blacktop near here or something like that. And so the there's the gang stand there. And I always think when he when he runs out of the office and he yells for all the guys to come with him in their their little side offices. I think what if you really had to go to the bathroom? What if you were just thinking, <laughs> man, I'm just gonna finish typing this and then I really gotta pee. Come on, guys, we gotta take off now. Oh, can, can I just get a minute till we gotta go? Or are they just are they just like that good? You know, because just that good. I'd be terrible at that because I'd be halfway through. I go, I'm sorry, boss. Can we just pull over? When we get to the, when we get to the blacktop, can I run to a shrub? Because I am. <laughs> whew, I just I just finished my second cup of coffee. I didn't know you were going to come out and do that. I didn't know Filer was back out. Come on. 
I was not prepared for this. Give me a break. That I don't know why I thought that. I just I just thought I know I would have had to pee right at that moment. <laughs> and it was just like, you got it, boss. <laughs> ah, how you doing back there? <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, please don't don't hit any bumps. No, don't bump, hit any no bumps. bumps, no bumps. How are you doing back there? Ah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gotta clean the seats. I was gonna say, I'll, I'll, I'll do undercover in the water. <laughs> there, there was a moment I loved where I could, sw- I could swear I wrote it down here. Um, where, um, so, so yeah, so, so they, they scare away the drug dealers and everything. And I, th- I think Dano is like, he, he, um, McGarrett's like, you see anything out there? And Dano says, I, I think his line at that time is something like, uh, not a trace of him. Or, so, or something like that. And when you see Dano, it looks like he's like walking on the water. It looks like he's standing, he, he's probably standing on a rock, but it looks like he's yeah. out on the water. And I thought, where is he standing? I know, I guess that's well, why they're the know. best. That's right. Dano's maybe he pretty was magical. I was going to say, maybe he was taking a little tinkle or something and he got caught. <laughs> I don't I like don't to embarrass so. the guys. I just like to make sure that they're, that they're what, what do you see over there, Dano? Nothing. 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 Nothing's going on over here. Whale. I don't see anybody. I don't see. I just peed on Filer. No. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I don't know why I was thinking that. Uh, so anyway, sorry. So anyway, no, but I do like that the way that Filer gets everybody together in the same location and then he like blows everything up by pretending to be Steve. Yes. The megaphone. Mm-hmm. That's a nice moment. <laughs> it's... it's and it's, there's just like the greatest look on Steve's face because he's like, Jesus Christ, you gotta be kidding me. Yes, yes. He's there's 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 one second of that's not me, and then it's Filer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing too is that throughout the whole episode and throughout pretty much throughout um, over fifty steel, there's a certain amount of respect I think, but also yes. like. Amusement. Steve's mm-hmm. amused because Filer is a criminal and Steve is, you know, sworn vengeance against criminals. Mm-hmm. But he's not a murderer. He's act- he's just a thief. Yeah. He's not doing anything. And he, and he thieves from people who can afford it. Yes. And thieves from bad guys. Because Filer does say, if you're going to steal, what better than to steal from a thief? Yes. He fancies yes. himself an honest man. And Steve yeah. kind of respects that a little bit. And he respects... That Filer is so clever and he plays the game. Yeah. But ultimately, mm-hmm. he's still like, I have to put you in jail because I couldn't deal with you every week. Yeah, no, that, that would be something if there was like a six episode stretch of nothing but Filer. That would that would drive the whole. He by, by the end he'd have the entire every single policeman in like uh, all of Hawaii like like hunting down trying to figure out his elaborate games. Um, and yeah. and 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 the great thing too is I mean there's there's that moment where. Uh, Filer steals two thousand dollars from the the warden's yes. uh, safe, and he needs it because he rents a yacht later on, and he does some other stuff, and um, he leaves an IOU, and the warden's like, "Why?" and and McGarrett says, "Well, you know, he he considers himself, you know, not not a thief, and so he will pay you back." Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it's, it's kind of because he, he does, I mean, and and there there there's there's some I, I noticed this the second time around where um it's and it's it's sort of a bit of misdirection and such but it's um 
and and I'm not, I'm not I, I I don't I don't I don't think this is going to spoil it, Terry. But one of the big things is that if you follow the character of Filer and the way McGarrett describes him is he doesn't consider himself a criminal. You know, he he steals from the those who steal. There there is a moment where where McGarrett thinks that Filer's after the cocaine, and I thought surely he can't be after the cocaine. He wouldn't go after the drugs. That doesn't seem right, does it? Or maybe it does. I don't know. I, I don't know if I should say any more right now. But it's um, it's it that was that was kind of an interesting moment because there's a twister Rooney later on and um uh but but I remember I remember thinking that but I thought yeah Filer wouldn't be after all the cocaine would he he he's up to he's up to something else which well, he, which he is he, yeah because it says he implies from his phone call to Steve that you know narcotics is a dirty business mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can both agree on that. And I think what it is is that Steve's concerned that, yes, he is going to get the cocaine, but for the purpose of getting the cocaine so it can't be sold. Mm, Okay. Like, he's doing kind of a valiant thing almost, but it's ridiculous because Shibata will kill him. Yes. They don't know Moose is involved at this point, Mm -hmm. but but they know Shibata is, and they are like... Shibata will murder him yeah. for this. He's and so the plan is to keep an eye on Shibata. Keep that's how they're gonna keep an eye on Filer because at this point they're not sure what he looks like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because he is a master of disguise yes. as we know. And so because they're like they have the, the on the board, they have all of his disguises from over fifty steel. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, put out flyers with all of these because he could be any of these people. And oh, Dano's yes. like yeah. You know, wouldn't it be simpler to put an APB out on anybody? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So they don't know what Filer looks like, mm-hmm. but they but they know Shibata is involved. So they put a tail on Shibata, and it's when Shibata slips his tail because mm-hmm. they're obvious about it. So Shibata yes. knows he's being followed. He slips his tail by scuba diving. Yeah. In the in the harbor. Yeah. To, to go to the yacht, and Kono is just like very flustered and frustrated <laughs> yes, he does, by this. He does, he does. And and I was I was worried about Shibata there just for a second because he does the thing you know where he he stands with his back facing the water and he flips back into the water. I thought, gosh, I I hope he knows how deep the water is right there. I, I'd hate for it to be like like only six feet, eight feet. You know, just like he's gonna hit the ground. He's gonna hit the. He's, he, he's okay, folks, ladies and gentlemen. The um the crazy gangster drug dealer guy is okay. He makes it to the boat yeah. just fine. They, they have that fun scene on the yacht where all of a sudden it seems like Ziegler or Filer has a hey he has a, he has like a staff and he has people tr- bringing them champagne and everything and I, you just sit there watching kind of going yeah. what the hell's going on <laughs> what is this and they, there's an explanation for it a little bit and it makes sense because that and you're like that's why he stole the money yeah okay mm-hmm. so and he's he's a good thinker is Filer he's really he's really thinking yeah because. That's what the Elmo was a troubleshooter, and they said he had a very high IQ. And I'm like, I wonder if he was smarter than Filer. Yeah, that I I don't think so. Filer's pretty brilliant. Are you sure this is going to work? <laughs> My plans always work. Steve speculates that that that's the whole point is that Filer wants to get the cocaine so it cannot be sold. Mm-hmm. That's why he's following Shibata. Because he's the idea is that Filer will get him the goods, yes, and that he can arrest everybody, yeah, exactly, and be done with it. <laughs> not quite, not quite what Filer has planned, mm-hmm. which isn't surprising. Which is which is nice. I think. I mean, I was, um, 
I was generally surprised throughout the episode. And there's some wonderful moments like that great kind of almost wacky moment where like Filer is in some sort of store that's for rent and he's got this great these but not they're not binoculars is like monoculars i don't know what would you call them uh, but he's having a great time using them and like he's watching shibata but then he's also watching moose but he's also not watching like moose is on a roof and shibata's in his apartment and, and they're all kind of looking at one another and everyone's and the wife the five old guys are nearby and they're looking at them too and i'm like what is going on <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was great because, you know, Steve and Daniel come running up because Kono has been, he's been in charge of tailing Shibata. And he, he's like, I had to come over to see it because I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, me neither. And I'm looking at it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, it's, not, it's nice. At the, and at the moment when you sort of get the layout of how like Filer's there looking over here and there's Moose standing on a roof looking and there's Shibata. He's over here. And the, the five odd guys are just like, what? And it's, 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 it's nicely done. And then, of course, Filer's obviously, you know, playing a little trick on everyone. You know, just um, that's not a surprise. I don't think he's yeah. up to something. No, but it, but it was great the way he choreographed that. So that's how mm-hmm. they figure out Moose is involved and how they figure yes. out that, okay, if Moose is involved, that means Shibata doesn't have the cocaine. Yes, exactly. That yeah. it's Moose's. It's, pre- it's pretty sweet because he does all that. The It's it's one of those great things, yeah, where it's like, it's very... um. Well, this is before the sting, wasn't it? It's very sort of sting, or was it? What 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 year is this? What what year are we in now? This year, this is um, seventy one. So, okay, so yeah, we're before, before the, sting. the sting. Yeah, a year before the sting. So, but it has that sort of great thing, you know. The, I was going to say the great thing with the sting, and I was going to rhyme it, but I won't do that. <laughs> um, jejun. Um, but it's uh, it's it's got that sort of wonderful thing where he does this kind of thing that is kind of elaborate and everything's set up and you realize the sole reason he's done it is so they can see Moose and go, Shibata doesn't have the drugs. Moose has the drugs. And that changes the, the outlook of, of everything. And it's really, um, I, I do love, Filer's one of those guys who, um, you know, it's like, you know he's not going to make a mistake until he makes a mistake and then it's over. But it's just yeah. it's just so great because he's so on top of it. Like McGarrett is, it's pretty close, but it isn't until you know a certain point that he gets right there. And it's it's nicely. And, and like I said, it's um, the the five O guys almost become secondary to all the chicanery that's going on in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Filer definitely has the highlight, and he's basically doing most of their legwork when mm-hmm. it comes to not only capturing the the criminals, but also putting them on display basically because mm-hmm. it is great too when he, that comes to an end because steve decides that because moose is involved they absolutely have to get five or nine yes because that he doesn't want him killed and that is looking more and more likely and so they go to the rushing over to the storefront to capture him and what they thought was filer in the window was a, was a dummy was a mannequin so what shibata and moose thought they were looking at and what's five thought they were looking at yes. he had them all snowed yeah, yeah. and and that that is Filer. And that's and it's great because, um, what is it, Garrett takes the paper mache head, and first I think he says, what is it, uh, he's starting to lose his head, he's, he's really losing or, his head. You know, head. He, is getting, he is getting old, he's falling apart. He's, yeah, and, the, and then it is, I think this is the point where he kind of looks at the head and says, a man of infinite jest. And yes. you're like, oh, that's lovely. Ah, there you are, McGarrett. Yeah, I'm getting closer all the time. I must apologize for blowing your steak out the other day. I really had no choice, you know. 
I, th I think because we're dealing with Moose, who's an international smuggler, although he, I don't know, you know, he could be running Mel's Diner for all I know. Uh, and then you have Shibata and the twins. I love the twins. They're like a Tweedledee, Tweedledum kind of guys. They don't do much. Um, they just stand around. And you got you got Shibata. And and so, 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 so because it's all sort of like... Um, just all criminals that they're dealing with there's kind of um there's kind of a, you don't have to worry about any anyone innocent being hurt so so you can kind of have fun with it and it and it, it is fun sort of because you're just trying to catch some jerks and then you have another jerk who's trying to get those jerks caught and maybe get away with something or and it's it's um it's nice that i do like when a script like like this is is well written and well done it's. I think it's a joy to watch, and I. I think. Uh, I, I was going to say overall. I think actually completely through, all the way through. This one is a, is a joy to watch. Yeah, it really is because there's there's nothing that hasn't been considered. I guess, mm -hmm. in the sense that um, even the audience really can't anticipate what Filer's true plan is, because mm -hmm. you think, okay, he's finagled himself into a position where. He's getting paid a million dollars to fix this yes. this uh, this situation, which Moose and, and Shibata don't plan on paying him. They plan on killing yeah. him because he's already. What do they say that he's already legally dead? So he might as well you know, just go yeah. the rest of yeah. the way. Filer is completely confident that that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's not going to get killed. He won't be around, is what he says. And so we think that's the plan that he might be trying to get the cocaine to McGarrett, mm. but he's really trying to swindle like a million dollars out of these yes. guys. Yes. Yeah. And it's not until the end that his full plan mm -hmm. is revealed, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, of course!" Yeah, yeah. And it, that's what's so great about it is that the way it's written is that you, even if you think you know, you don't know. They like McGarrett; he didn't know yeah. until the very end. It's like, it's one of those where there's when you think you're settled, there's another twist, and yeah. and then when you think, okay, now oh, there's one more twist. And it's 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 got that nice it's got that nice thing where it keeps it going till till more or less the the very end, which I, which I appreciated. Yeah. And it's 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 episodes like this with 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 shows like this where you know occasionally shows like this and um you know can fall into a bit of formulaic stuff. And that's one of the reasons why you love a show like this. You love the formula. You love to be with the characters. But it's nice to have one like this that kind of um does something a little off to one side. And a little different, and um, I yeah I I um I enjoyed I, gosh I wish he'd been in more. I really got used to watching and enjoying Hume Cronin in this, and I wanted to hear more of his German accent, especially when he says words wrong. Yes, I think he says the uh, the harbor master. He says that I forget how the Hoffenmeister or something like that. Oh, harbor master. <laughs> I, that wasn't a German accent, everyone. If you were thinking, wow, Dan, your German accent is great. Yeah, I know. Leave me alone. Quit. <laughs> Pretty good for a Polish guy. Pretty good for a Polish guy. <laughs> the thing is, is that in um, Over 50 Steel, he was in a lot of different costumes. Ooh. And in this episode, for a majority, he's only in one disguise, yes. and that's the Ziggler disguise until we get to the end. Yeah. So... I think we're about ready to spoil okay. it. What do you think? I, th I think so. I was, I was, I was going to say one more thing. I've got because I'm looking at my notes here, and one of the one of the things the episode does do that I like is there are a couple moments where things kind of go rather quickly, and you have to, which which is nice because you didn't see that a lot back back in at this time period. Usually, 
you could keep up pretty good with things that were going on. But here there are a few moments where like, they're going here. Now they're going here. And a couple moments where I thought, why are they going there? And I had to like think about it for a moment. And I'm like, that's good. That's this is nice writing. This is nicely done. So uh, but I, I would say, yeah, I would think I would think if we want to spoil, let's spoil. Okay. So this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't watched the episode and you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening. Um, check the description. I will have the timestamps on when you can start listening once again when it will be safe. So here comes the spoilers. Three, two, one. Spoilers. spoilers. So here's what happens. So Kono ends up arresting Moose and his team as they bring the cocaine in in some fish and they're standing there posing for pictures with this fish like they caught them. Yes. And then they throw them in the back of a truck and Kono arrests them and takes possession of the, the, mm-hmm. the cocaine fish. Which is just, I mean, because it's great too because Kono calls it in and he's like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and I did I did wonder about that because I, I thought, is, is that something where like, are they doing that to just in case someone sees the big fish or something? Like, oh, here's here's we caught these big fish. Look, isn't this fun? And, or or is it something where like you're required by Hawaiian law if you catch a super big fish <laughs> to stand around and take pictures of it? Because I would have thought I would like to th- you'd want to. I would like to think that's a state law. Okay, because I would have thought you'd just like to bring in the fish, put them on the truck, and not make a big deal out of it. But they make such a big deal out of it. Like at first, I didn't realize it was them. I thought, why are we spending this time with a bunch of guys who caught fish? And then I suddenly realized, oh, it's moose, moose and moose and the gang. I don't know, moose and elk, and I don't, I don't know, bison. I don't know who they were, but they, they were all there with their big and fish. cow. He's a junior Can, member. Yes, yes. But yeah, so so yeah, so that's that. That was fun. That that was fun. <laughs> You're not gonna believe this. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And then on the other hand, you have uh, Shibata and the twins who are basically look like they're running errands. So they mm-hmm. went to the bank to get the $4 million. Now they got the $4 million and he says it was in washed $1,000 bills so it'll fit easily in a briefcase. And I don't know about you, but I laughed my ass off at a $1,000 bill. <laughs> yeah. They do exist. I know they do yes. exist, but that's just ludicrous. Yeah, that's, I mean, because... <laughs> The moment you, the moment you're like, you know, like, you know what, I, I know, uh, you know, I just gotta, I gotta stop in the Seven Eleven. I gotta get a big gulp. I am so thirsty. Can you break a thousand? <laughs> let, let me check, sir. No, no, I can't break a thousand. Look here, no bills over twenty. Oh, and, th- and th- it'd be great if when if if the guy turned away to pretend like he could break a thousand, and someone wrote in, uh, put, added a couple zeros to the twenty. It says two thousand. Yeah. Oh, it does there say to Yeah, it, it is funny. And what, is that a thing where he says like, oh, we ironed and washed and ironed the bills so they could fit into like a 20-inch space or something like that? Is that well, a... basically what he means by that is the money's been laundered. Oh, okay. I thought As he meant they actually... Laundered. Okay. <laughs> Felony laundering. Okay, I, th- I thought but, he meant they actually yeah. like ironed the money to make it smaller or something. Okay, as much as I would love that... <laughs> That's not what happened. I, th- I thought, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I've never done that. I don't. I've never they had thousands. Send, <laughs> they did not send four million dollars to the dry cleaners. I, I, because I, I, I just imagine like a, a shot where um, uh, Shibata asked the twins to check on the money, and they open a the door, and there's maybe like three of their old aunts or something with just like irons and just like a stack of thousands. <laughs> it's almost done, dear. It's almost done. Not sure why not. I guess I don't understand the criminal mind as much as I thought I did. 
This is why you've never been to prison. This, this is why this is why I ask you the questions about stuff like this. <laughs> That's right. It's not that I've ever been to prison. Uh, I just <laughs> hang around with unsavory people. Yes, anyway. Exactly. So he kind of sends him on like a little bit of a tour. So he tells him to go. There will be a cab waiting for him to take that cab. It goes to a certain apartment building. He checks one of the mailboxes. That tells him to go to a certain mm-hmm. apartment on the floor. And he's in there dressed as a security guard. And so he finagles it. And they walk right past him. They don't realize it's yes. him. Yeah, I didn't realize it was him either. When, when we should have known yeah. by now, look at everybody that could be Hume Cronin. And that could be anyone. It really could be. Truly. It could be. So Shibata and his twins get in the elevator. He stops the elevator between floors. Then he changes disguises. Why? I don't know. From the, yes. the security guard into like a like a, a maintenance worker. Yes. And he gets on top of this elevator car and demonstrates that he has an was an ultrasonic something. Yes, rather, like a yeah yeah. That that shatters glass. He demonstrates that and then gives them another demonstration when he asks for their weapons. I have no idea if this thing would actually work. It doesn't matter because it's Filer doing I'm it. I'm convinced. I totally 100% believe it. <laughs> I, and, and when he says, like, that was at level four, I, I could put it up to level six and it'll be even worse and it'll be quite messy. And you're like, no, I don't yes. want level six. I don't want level six. <laughs> I'm fine with level four. I was yeah, completely they have convinced no by it. Yeah. I lo- and I, yeah. I, I love that scene because it's just, it's so, so methodically, he's just, you know, hello, look up at the hatch, and he kind of waves at him, and then he slowly lowers in a dirty pane of glass. And you're like, what is he doing? And then he lowers in like a little microphone, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, and then the glass shatters, and you're like, okay, guys, he's Filer's, he's on, he's on it. He, yeah, I, wow, yeah. I wonder if that had something yeah, to do with the I, phone equipment he stole. Do you think that it was maybe I some, would imagine, something adapted? Because they said he, yeah, they said he took a lot of stuff off that truck. Because uh-huh. they said he could start his own phone company, and we only saw him really use it once after that when he was mm-hmm. listening to their phone oh, yes. call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I would imagine that's what he did yeah. with it, and just goes to show his genius. But yes, the fact that he does sit up there and he's completely just so calm and just like mm-hmm. and he says please and thank you put your yes. put, put uh, your guns in the basket now you're going to hook up the money and after their demonstration they have no problem giving them the money <laughs> and Shibata Shibata even threatens to kill him he's like I'm going to mm-hmm. kill you for this and he's like oh yes of course you will and <laughs> he goes to leave now he sets off like a smoke bomb outside mm-hmm. to distract 5-0 because he knows that they're going to be around and they know it's him so they're like swarming the building his final disguise is possibly his most brilliant disguise he is dressed as an elderly drunk woman yes in this beautifully printed (laughs) muumu yes complete with the 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 stockings Mm -hmm. that are a little saggy and the shoes and everything and he's carrying two purse straps and he goes up to some officer this is the balls the size of the balls that this guy has (laughs) goes up to a police officer and he is complaining as a drunk woman Mm -hmm. and he takes like a shot so he has whiskey on his breath or whatever and is like somebody assaulted me and they they cut the straps off my purse and the officer's like you know we can't deal with that we're on assignment here's a special assignment go down to the station down at the the down the street and he's like well fine and he like starts walking off yes. drunkenly <laughs> and 
some of the money falls out yes. of his dress. Yes, on his backside. Yep. Yeah. And he does this great, graceful move in which he stops. He, like, scoots the money up with his foot and then bends down to get it. And he, like, he has to reach arranges under. himself so this he gives himself so the a, dress doesn't come like up. A, almost like a reach around, kind of. It's just like he kind of, and it's kind of, it's the kind of thing where I think if the cop had seen it, he would have just gone, oh, dear, and looked right away. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he would have yeah. gone, like, does that old lady, is she shoving money? Where? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he would have been absolutely scandalized. Oh my god! <laughs> Please, <laughs> let me get back to the gangsters. Yeah. I've had. It. I do like he lets out a really good burp when he's talking yes. to the cop at one point. He's something. <laughs> oh, he, he's something like, "Is that all? Is that all the help you're gonna give me?" <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that was fantastic. And all I could think was, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jessica Tandy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I bet she was real proud of that performance <laughs> sit down and watch it together <laughs> just like at, oh. at holidays uh, yeah that was a, you did a really good job you made a really ugly woman honey <laughs> he, really, he really is he looks like he looks like everyone's ugly grandma you know we all we all got an ugly grandma that's or that or that a drunk great aunt. Yes, that, that one. Yeah. Always jacks up Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he looks She'll like. She always smoked a little too much. Yep, she's the one. <laughs> Officer, what? I want to report a robbery. Where? Right here. My handbag. Somebody must have cut it. Look, lady, look, lady, we're here on special assignment. You can't handle that now. Look, I tell you what. There's a station house right down the street. Wait a minute. Is that all the attention I get? I could have been <laughs> assaulted. So it looks like, because uh, obviously Five O can't find Filer because they are not looking for Filer as a drunk woman. Yes. And at one point, Shibata's yelling out of the elevator to get him out of there, and Danny's like, "Shut up! You got no place to go." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they they catch Shibata, they catch Moose, but they don't catch Filer. And he's obviously gotten away with the money. And that really doesn't set well with Steve. He's not going to settle for that. Mm -hmm. And Steve realizes that he is an honest thief. Yes. He's an honest man. He'll pay back that IOU to the warden. And that's how they end up catching him. Because he uses a bonded messenger, messenger. And there's only three bonded messenger services in Hawaii. And it's like that one little mistake. We have seen an episode Mm -hmm. full of brilliance. That one, and then we have that one, just simple mistake. Yes, that he makes that ends up sending him back to jail. And what's so great about that is because so far, every twist that we deal with, every time it twists and it's like, oh yes, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets caught trying because he was tr- basically trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. and repay his debt, it's like even that, which is such a simple obvious mistake, even that you're like. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, somehow, it's 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 I I, I, I the, the things I really like about that um, are that well first off my thought is I kind of wonder if Filer, um, kind of was more interested in maybe going back to prison, trying to escape again and do something again because he had so much fun. Um, so I'm almost <laughs> wondering if he did that on purpose. Because almost the way he says when McGarrett says, "Well, there are only three bonding things, you know, on the on the island," and um, you know, why why didn't you just why don't you send it through the mail? What and trust the mail services? 
Oh, no. And the way he says it, you're almost like, are you doing this because you want to meet McGarrett again? Are you setting this up for the... Is there going to be a third part of the trilogy where you do something big and crazy? And I, I love when when he opens the door and he can see who it is and we can guess who it is, but McGarrett's in darkness for a few moments. And you could just mm-hmm. see him look up at McGarrett and he kind of... His face half falls and half doesn't. And McGarrett just steps into the light. It's like, zing. And that's the only moment they have together, apart from the phone call. That's the only moment they have together, this minute and a half long scene at the end. Um, and I uh, I also love the... Um, when when McGarrett says, no, we, we can't let him get away. There must be something. And it, it they have a moment where... Uh, and you're sitting there going, there must be something. And it and the way they shoot it isn't like where immediately one of them goes, the IOU. There's like 20 seconds or so where they're all like, huh. And they're all like kind of thinking about what some, somewhere he might have slipped up, and then they get it. So so it isn't it isn't like it's immediately he's like, ah, I've got it. You've been caught. They're, they actually have to, they're sorting through the past day, two days, a week. I don't know however long it's been, and so it's um, it's a uh, it's it's nice to put together. It's kind of a it's kind of a for an episode with several loud moments. It's such a quiet ending, which I like. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just the I, I guess I guess the previous episode was like that too, right? He catches him when he's unburying. He's that's he's, yeah, that's right. He's the zookeeper or something, right? He's like un he's like yeah. yeah, and this this is kind of like that too, except even sort of quieter. And, and I think it's a, I think it's kind of a, it's, it's a lovely ending, and it's one of those two where when they're they're leaving together, and he's you know you're ready to go, yeah I'm ready to go, and and Filer opens the door and they look at each other, McGarrett says after you, and Filer nods yeah. and smiles and goes out the door, and when the door's halfway closed, you get the freeze frame and the executive producer credit, but it's a, it's it's a nicely done scene, and 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 yeah I I, I do half wonder if he maybe did this on purpose I, I part of me says no of course he didn't dan but like it's it's but it's such a moment where it's like he must have known that mcgarrett might have maybe maybe this is the one moment where he underestimates mcgarrett i don't know but um but it's it's, it's, yeah. it's a nice it's a nice ending it is i kind of wondered if it wasn't subconscious yeah that he subconsciously yeah. because it's his honesty that undoes him mm-hmm. that gets him caught and so being that kind of an honest man, if he didn't subconsciously go that route because he thought it might get him caught mm-hmm. and put him back in jail where he, you know, where, because he knows, I think, deep down that he's, you know, not the honest man that he, the honest thief that he thinks he yes, is. Yes, yes. And because even when he gets caught, he doesn't like, he looks like, oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I should have expected this. Yes. And then he is still, even though he is arrested, he is still doing his filer manipulations and saying, well, Moose yeah. and, and Shibata, these are federal offenses in federal penitentiary. They'll be on the mainland and, you know, I don't want to be there with them. So if I turn state's evidence, I'll mm-hmm. go to a different federal penitentiary. Yes. And so Steve's like, yeah, you're trying to cut a deal. And he's like, yeah, why not? And so yeah. Steve's like, yeah, okay. But federal prison's harder to break out of, and he goes, "I know, I can't wait." <laughs> <laughs> and there's got to be something. Like in he's there looking at the forward end. to the chef. Yes, yes. And there's got to be something at the end of the day that they they wouldn't have got this cocaine if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. That, that I don't know if that means anything in the end because he was still, you know, 
being criminally. And he's, I mean, at the end of the day, he did escape from a prison. So no matter what he does, yeah. he's a, he's an escapee. But yeah, he's an escapee. But he did stop, you know, this shipment of cocaine, and he also mm. stole four million dollars. But he stole four million dollars that was, you know, laundered. So it was got through, you know, inappropriate means to begin with. So yes. and he brought down these two big criminal figures. So it's kind of like, how do we balance these scales? Yeah, that seems a little. I, I'm I'm wondering if almost th- that that could be in the back of his mind. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, I think in the end, it ain't going to be that bad for me because of what I've done. And the only person who might get a little cheese might be McGarrett if he doesn't get a bunch of time. But then even in the end, McGarrett would, might be like, okay, just don't go somewhere else. Go to, go, go to Bourbon Street Beat or something like that. Leave me alone. No. <laughs> Quit hanging around here. This guy's in Surfside 6. They're great. Miami. Hang out with them. <laughs> Go, go bother them for a bit. Please, please, please give us a break. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, it's 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 nicely done because you don't, um, you you get to the end and he's 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 done his con and his con succeeded, and then it's almost uh, an afterthought when they catch him. Let's take a quick break from the convo to take a closer look at our guest cast. As I said, Louis Avery Filer is played by Hume Cronin. This is his second of two episodes. Yes, he was Louis Avery Filer in Over 50 Steel. Goro Shibata was played by Yuro Tamiya. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He appeared in the movies Bad Reputation, Another Bad Reputation Story, and other Bad Reputation movies, Stolen Pleasure, A Night to Remember, Order of the Yakuza, Bury Me Deep, Metal from the Devil, School for Thieves, the Creature Called Man, Yellow Dog, Angry Cobra, and Angry Cobra 2. Moose Oakley was played by Lane Bradford. This is his first of two episodes. He has 261 credits on IMDb going back to 1940. He appeared in episodes of Broken Arrow, Bourbon Street Beat, Sugarfoot, Restless Gun, 26 Men, Fury, Zane Grey Theater, Black Saddle, The Texan, Lawman, The Rifleman, Maverick, Tales of Wells Fargo, Rawhide, Thriller, Cheyenne, Laramie, The Fugitive, Perry Mason, Wagon Train, Batman, The Virginian, Laredo, Lassie, Dragnet 67, Death Valley Days, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Search, and Cannon. He appeared in the movies Journey to Shiloh, A Distant Trumpet, the Toughest Gun in Tombstone, The Steel Jungle, Man with a Steel Whip, The Golden Idol, Son of Bell Star, Zombies of the Stratosphere, Target, and The Longhorn. Warden Chalice was played by Richard Morrison. This is his third of five episodes. He also appeared in The Last Eden, and our previous episode, Is This Any Way to Run a Paradise? The rude twin number one is Mo Kiali. This is his second of 11 episodes before becoming Truck in the final season. Rude twin number two was played by Daniel H. Awai Jr. This is his only credit. Mercer was played by Howard Morrison. He also appeared in the movie Funny Things Happen Down Under. The prison guard was played by Edward Burns. This is his only credit. The Telephone Nightman was played by William Kamahele Sr. This is his only credit. The HPD Officer was played by William Thurlby. He appeared in episodes of Rawhide, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, Death Valley Days, and The Jackie Gleason Show. He appeared in the movies Two Week Notice, 
Castle of Evil, Destination, Inner Space, Angel's Flight, and Vengeance. And he appeared in the TV movie, The Creeping Terror. And in an uncredited role, the voice of Goro Shibata was done by Paul Fries. I'm guessing there were accent issues that caused him to be dubbed. Paul Fries has 373 credits, almost all of its voice work. He was Boris on Rocky and Bullwinkle. He was the narrator and the ape named Ape on George of the Jungle. He was the Thing on the Fantastic Four. He was the voice of Carr in the Kit vs. Carr episode of Knight Rider. And he was frequently used as a narrator. And possibly most importantly, he sang Darktown Strutter's Ball on the Abominable Dr. Fibes soundtrack. And it really does feel like he'll be back. It does. And it's it's a shame that he doesn't come back, that there's not a, another Filer episode like the next season or down the road a little bit. Because it would have been so much fun to watch him come back and do it again. Because he is a great character. He's re- he's really fantastic. He I would have actually loved it if they had done something, maybe even like like a two parter, where like when you get to the end of the first part, you realize that he and McGarrett have to work together to do something, and so the second part is, and maybe you don't realize that or something, and and then there's a moment when you realize like you think they're working on opposite ends, or maybe it'd be more fun to see them work together. I, I'm just making this up, but you know, either either they're working together and we know it, and it's fun to watch, or we're working together and they don't know it, and we don't know it until the very end, kind of thing. And it looks like he's playing his old tricks, but then you get to the end and something happens, and you're like. They were in cahoots the whole time. Has McGarrett has done something he shouldn't have? I don't know. But they, they saved the, they, they got they found the nuclear device. I don't know. I don't know what it would be. <laughs> but I would love I would I, think, I would love something like that. I I would too. I think I would like it better though if they were forced to work together yeah. because then you have them Filer doing his Filer thing and McGarrett not trusting him and waiting for the inevitable swerve. Yes. That you know, would like have Filer like escape or something like that, but then Filer like playing it completely straight and yeah. not doing that and just throwing everybody for a loop because yeah. you'd be waiting for it too. Yes. You would totally be waiting yeah. for him to. He would never swerve Steve in a sense that he would get hurt no. or not fulfill whatever they were supposed to do, mm-hmm. but just to swerve Steve to, to escape. Yeah, and to to have them do that and that not happen. Yeah. that would be great. That would be, and then you could even. I, I see it's so much fun and then if you want to do one, do one after that you could do one where um, they know Filer's back in town and this strange stuff is happening and then it turns out it's not Filer it's someone else who who, who who has somehow become familiar with Filer or helped Filer at one point and they're trying to do their own thing and so Filer has to protect his name by stopping this person from doing whatever it is they're doing and he gets McGarrett involved eventually and, and stuff we could, there could have been the Filer and McGarrett show I would have watched it I, oh absolutely I would have watched I would have watched a good six episode run of that spinoff one summer yeah, he could have totally been a recurring villain mm-hmm. on the the level of Woe Fat. Yeah. It would be like the opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Woe Fat, who is serious business criminal, mm-hmm. and then you have Filer, who is much more fun, a man of infinite jest. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, I um, yeah, 
I did quite enjoy, and thank you for having me on for these two episodes. Because, um, you know, oh, I've I, I have in in my watching of Hawaii Five O, I'm still back in season one. I'm going very slow, <laughs> so I would have it would have taken me forever to get here. So I'm glad you sent me here because I like the character and I like the I like I like the and I'm surprised how many there were eleven seasons. How many seasons were there? There were eleven seasons, just, about two hundred eighty episodes. I'm surprised that they they didn't bring him back. I, I that's too bad. Yeah. I I don't know why they wouldn't have. I think he was popular. It's mm-hmm. it, both episodes are both like two of the highest rated okay. of the series. He's just such a fun character. Yeah, yeah. Just such a fun character. <sighs> He's up there with Wolfat for me, yeah. and he only showed up in two episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, this episode just obviously one to watch. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Watch Over Fifty Steel, and then watch Odd Man In. You're not going to be disappointed. Not at all. Not at all. And I will say the spoon for a key thing was the best. They're never. You, you never quite see the spoon well enough to figure out exactly how how he... Like, it's a skeleton spoon, right? Is yeah. that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's just like... It's one of those things where that would only work for Filer. He's the yes, only yes, human exactly. in existence yeah. that can and, make that and work. I, and I do like the moment where... um. He sets up his little phone. He's in the storage room. Oh, call call this number. Let it ring because he's going to take a while to get there. So and the, and the security, the, the the guard in in the jail cell is sitting at his desk reading the newspaper. The phone's way down at the other end of the hall. After about four rings, he finally gets up slowly, walking towards it. And then you see Filer appear at the nearby like cell door, and he's going to spoon it open and then hide in another room. But there's there's kind of a moment where he um he has to speed up because he kind of watches the security guard go and he has a bit of a look on his face like gosh i love it when a plan comes together and and then then he leans over with the spoon and kind of doesn't get in there and he has to speed up just for a second just for a second but then he gets into the he has to kind of go quickly into the second storage room but it's 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 kind of there's got to be a point like if you're if you're there for so long and you're like okay i made the paper mache head i got the picture of this random guy i made a skeleton spoon Boy, I can't wait! I made my own phone, like like MacGyver isn't this, you know? <laughs> and, and and just it's um, it's 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 a fun episode. That's 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 all I got. I'm gonna stop at Skeleton Spoon. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, on that note, Dan, where can we find you online? Oh, all right. Um. I uh, I do a I do a podcast called Eventually Super Train. You can go on eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com or um, Eventually Super Train on Facebook or at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter. Um, and we cover short-lived TV shows on there. You're in fact um, on there with me now, covering a short-lived TV show. I believe, yes. maybe, and yes. uh, and there there we cover all sorts of different t- uh, TV shows. This past year, we did a Colchak, the Night Stalker, Tales of the Gold Monkey, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Search. We do all kinds of stuff. We got we got fun stuff coming up in the future. All sorts of different guest hosts and things like that. And um, I uh, I'm also on the Made for TV Mayhem show with the great Amanda Reyes and Nathan Johnson. And um, uh, and I I have a couple I have a Happy Days podcast. I do some minute by minute podcasts on horror films. Um, and uh, you could all, if you go on eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com, you'll find the info there. And I have a couple books out. My latest one being um, from Beverly Hills to Hooterville, exploring TV's Henningverse, nineteen sixty two to nineteen seventy one, um, out through uh, Gildersleeve Press, I believe is that it. I, I believe that's the name of it. Um, uh, and you can get that on Amazon. So. That's where you can find me. I'm on I'm on Twitter. As far as I know, I'm on Twitter, um, and uh, and Facebook, and all those good things. All right. Well, thank you so much for yes. joining me again, Dan. 
You're always such a good sport about yeah. this. <laughs> it's a good time. It's a good time. <laughs> After all, if one must steal, isn't it better to steal from a thief? And that is episode 45 of Bookum Dano. One solid episode, one spectacular episode, and one fabulous guest joining me for the discussion of the latter. Thank you once again to Dan Budnick for joining me. I am always grateful for him stopping by to discuss 5.0 with me. And I am glad that I keep picking episodes that he at least enjoys. It's the least I can do considering we started off with nude Gavin McLeod in a prison shower. He's always such a sport. So thanks again, Dan. And thank you for listening. You know I always appreciate your ears. If you want to find me online, you can do that by going to akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of Bookham Dano. You can also find me at my blog, kikiwrites.com. Once again, I'd like to remind you that I do have a Patreon. If you would like to contribute, I got a couple of really fun projects happening right now. You can also just donate a buck a month, which supports me in all of my endeavors. And if you want to endure me self-promoting myself in real time, you can do that by following me on Twitter, if it still exists, at KikiWrites. So listen to Kaili and have your skeleton spoons at the ready. Until next time, aloha.